Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. And if you've been with us, you know we're in the short series called Blueprints, uh, looking at what we believe are our creator's blueprints for life. How do we do life? How does life work? How should it work? And as we're going to find out in the next few weeks coming up, why sometimes life doesn't work like we hope it does. And today, um, we're gonna be talking about water. And uh, I don't need to tell you that water is essential for life. Not like a blessing for life, it is essential for life. It's critical for life. Where there is no water, there is no life. If you've seen pictures of Death Valley in America, there is no water and therefore there is no life. And I think it's like once a year, there tends to be like a shower that comes, a light shower and with the dormant seeds, what happens in the months after that is just the whole place, some of the air is just filled with this bloom, this, these flowers that just sprout up. Why? Because where there's water, there's life. It's why scientists and NASA are obsessed with trying to find water on Mars. Because as we're trying to explore like what's next for us as a human race, do we end up colonizing Mars, etc. They're obsessed with like, is there any evidence of water? And they are constantly trying to look. And you don't need to remind you of GCSE or whatever you did when you were 15, your kind of science and your biology, that we need water. I looked it up. I had, didn't remember it. Did you know that the human adult is made up of around 50 to 65% of water? Marlinda knew that. I was like trying to, 50% of water. So I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh because post-COVID it's a bit more than I'm hoping at the moment. But that's, that's a lot of water. That we're made of and if your percentage of water in your body decreases by like one to two percent it's at that point that you start with like the headaches feeling fuzzy like not operating very well like so you realize how finely tuned how much we need water in our life and what i want to talk about today is how what god has instilled in creation physically that water equals life is true for him that the presence of God himself equals life. And he's instilled this water into us that everywhere we look, we need water. If you go for two or three hours without water, you know you're looking for your next drink. He has put that in the physicality of our world to teach us about our hearts and about our spiritual need for God himself. So we're going to read just a few verses from Genesis chapter 2. I want to do a short introduction and then tell us where we're going to go. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 through 15. I almost skipped these in the series, but I'm going to tell you why we didn't. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows around the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And we're going to stop there. 
I was tempted just to skip this because if you're like me, I get to verses like that and I think, I'm not quite sure why that's there. I'm just going to move on quickly with the rest of the Bible that seems to connect with me. But there's like two rivers that I have no idea about. One earth. I've kind of vaguely heard of the Tigris. I've heard, vaguely heard of the Euphrates. But like why Moses? I kind of thought for years that Moses was doing like an ancient Near East kind of ordnance survey thing. Like, oh, and by the way, geography, here is a few rivers. There you know that now. And we're going to move on to some spiritual stuff. But the more you read the Bible, you, you realise that the authors don't put anything in there just for just for just to put it in there. Everything is there, especially in these early chapters in Genesis, symbolically. And it took me a while. So one of the things that we do as a church is we just teach through bits of the Bible and we just go passage by passage by passage by passage by passage, which means we come across passages like this, the weird bits, the odd bits, the bits we don't understand. And we want to deal with the whole book of the Bible at this church, because we believe that when we do that, one, that God inspired all of this book. And when we actually deal with some of the weird bits and the bits that we don't understand, we actually can get close to the heart of God and understand increasingly who he is and how he wants us to live our life. If we just took our Bible readings every week, you know, if on a Saturday night, I was like, what am I feeling like today? I would probably end up preaching about four sermons and you would get bored very quickly because we each have our hobby horses, don't we? Our favourite passages, what I like to talk about. But one of the things we want to do, we ask every preacher, like this, we're just going through this passage. So if you come up a weird bit, we've got to deal with the weird bit. So we're dealing with a weird bit today. And before I get into the weird bit, it actually becomes less weird as time goes on. I'm just hamping up the weird bit just to get you interested maybe. But I just want to tell you, there are ways in which you can read the Bible that actually help you with stuff like this. And I want to give you two quickly before we get going. Is that all right? Give me a yes, somebody. Yeah, thanks, Chris. All right. Hanging over here. Like, no, we don't need any help from you, Daniel. We're fine. No, I want to give you some help. Okay. The first thing is this. We need to read the Bible as a story. And it, I want to suggest it's only when we read the Bible as a story with Genesis as a beginning and Revelation as an end that actually the weird bits begin to make sense. A lot of us read the Bible like in the mornings, like we just flick up our phone, we've got 10 minutes on the bus, like what was I reading yesterday? I'll just flick something open, I remembered that verse. And we kind of take the Bible like a bit pick and mix. It's like, here's a verse there, here's a verse there. I remember that verse meant a lot to me last year. Let me read that one again. Thinking that this is just kind of like a random collated book of sayings that you could just dive in and out of at any different point. But actually, when you step back and you read, the whole Bible is authored by one author, God, as a story of humanity that God created. He tells us how things should be. He tells us why things aren't why they are. He tells us how things can get redeemed. And he tells us where everything is headed. And it's only as we read everything in the context of the story that it's in that it makes sense. If you were watching a Netflix series and you just plucked out, you know, series two, episode four, and just watched this one episode... You might get like 20% of the stuff that's going on, but you would not get 80% of the nuance, like the phrases, the context, the, the soundtrack, so much of the background stuff and the symbolism of the show, you just wouldn't get, would you? Because we know you have to read it as a, like it, it makes sense as part of a story. And the more you go into the story, it becomes increasingly meaningful, doesn't it? The symbols become increasingly meaningful. And so we need to do exactly the same with the the bible we need to read it so when we come to bits like this why are there these four rivers 
like just randomly dropped into the, the creation of humanity, it will only actually really make sense when we get to understand the whole story of the Bible. These small random kind of backdrop symbols that seem to be there actually take on life in the story. Okay, that's the first thing. So let me encourage you, if you don't already, just read a, a, go through a Bible reading plan that takes you through the whole story of God. It doesn't matter if it takes you a year, three years, five years, ten years, but read the whole thing. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, and you won't like this, but understanding the Bible just takes time. <laughs> it takes time. And we live in such an instant culture that like, if we don't understand it instantly, we, within like two Googles and 30 seconds, we don't get the answer. We're like, fine, I'm moving on, I'm moving on with the day. Why did God have to make this book so difficult anyway? Like, we live with that kind of instant, if it's not there, the... But actually, this is a story that we're called to marinate in. I've, been, I've grown up in church, I've said this before, and I've been reading the Bible actively, like almost every day, not every day, almost every day, for 23 years now. And I've done a lot of like Bible reading courses, online courses, year-long courses, degrees. I'm in the, f hopefully going to finish a master's before my deadline comes, so I'm still sweating about. But I'm, I've done a lot of Bible study, and after 23 years of reading and studying the Bible, I can say two things. The Bible is becoming increasingly meaningful to me. That all these random bits, it's almost like every year as I go on, these little random bits in the Bible that didn't mean anything to me are actually getting mopped up into understanding. It's like I'm hoovering up understanding as I go along, as I'm beginning to understand the, the big picture of the story of the Bible. And the second thing is this, and I think it's true, the rate of learning for me, and this is my own testimony, but the rate of learning for me is not slowing down, but it's actually speeding up, I think. I feel like I'm actually learning more about the Bible now than I was when I was 17. It's not like, oh, I'm nearing the end. I've read it a few times. I kind of know what the Bible says now. You don't need to teach me anything. I actually feel like it's becoming more meaningful, more impactful. And I'm actually learning at a quicker rate because I'm increasingly getting the story of God. So all the little bits that seem so weird when I was 18 are actually becoming meaningful because I've got connections to be made. But that just takes time. So I just want to encourage you to not get frustrated Growth takes time. And I want to take one little parenthesis before we move on. I want to ask us as a church, because a lot of us are young, a lot of us are in our 20s and our 30s. I want us to think about ourselves when we're in our 60s. I want us to be a church that doesn't just think about, did I understand this passage for me today? Did it have like some kind of light bulb moment for me today? But I would love us as a church to be those who build a vision for the long term. Those who build something in the secret places that will only get made manifest when we are in our 60s and in our 70s. And if God willing, we make it into our 80s. I want us to be a, a people who build a vision for our life that we might become wise ones in a city that is struggling to navigate life. I would love us to become those who have spiritual wisdom in those who are struggling spiritually those who would be called sages those to whom young people when you are old would go to and say i would love to spend some time with them because they seem to know some of the wisdom of god that only comes through time 
through your soul marinating day after day after day, bit by bit, drip by drip in the presence of God through his scriptures. We cannot shortcut wisdom. I would love to be an old man who other people would like to spend time with because something of God is departed from me, is given from me. And I know I can't, that's not going to happen just by a few flicks here and there, one Google and moving on with my life. So will we be a church that, that just begins to think about what am I building for the long term? Chris, can I get an amen? amen. Thanks, Chris. All right. I'm not going to pick on you all the time. So what I want to do today is just two short things, hopefully short. I want to tell the story of the river of God. And then I want to draw out four implications and then we're going to break bread together. So the story of the river of God, these, these four rivers. If I said, I think it was two weeks ago, I, I likened the geography of the Garden of Eden to a fried egg. Anyone remember that bit? Like, I'm going to be less ridiculous this time. I'm going to give you a more sophisticated analogy. So just so you get the geography clear in your head, imagine the Garden of Eden like Kew. Anyone been to Kew Gardens in West London? Most of us have been at least like once. You kind of, you know what it's like. You've got to imagine Eden like Kew Gardens. So on the outside of the walls of Kew, you have like polluted, icky, yucky London, right? And then on the inside of the walls, when you go through the gate, you come into Eden. I mean, Kew, this wonderful place, this beautiful place. But then in the middle of Kew, there are these special gardens. There's like a Japanese garden, there's a desert garden, there's an Amazonian garden. If you go into one of the big the glass houses, you know, you've got Africa, you've got Asia, all these places. There are these special gardens within the Garden of Kew. And in the middle of some of these, there are these special trees and they're on display. We have to imagine Eden in Genesis 2, just like that. There is this wilderness, polluted, yucky London. And then there is Eden, Q, the whole of Q. And then within the middle of Eden, there is this particular garden that God cultivates. And then in the middle of this garden in Eden, he plants two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he places us, Adam and Eve, in the middle of the garden, in the center of God's purposes, in the center of God's creation. This is all symbolic of God himself, the tree of life. Let me just run through this. The tree of life is symbolic of the presence of God. And from this, we have the, the, the Garden of Eden, which is the Holy of Holies, symbolizing the temple, this Holy of Holies. And from outside of that is where we live in the lands that we live in. And then the outside of that is outside of the purposes of God, outside in the wilderness for those who would not know God. And out from the very centre of the Holy of Holies, the Garden of Eden, we're told in these few chapters, is in verses, is this, this river that emerges, it seems, from the base of the tree of life and flows out of the Garden of Eden, out through Eden and then out into the wilderness to water the garden so that there may be life. No water, no life. And this is all symbolic of us, of God himself at the centre of everything, where we need to be pouring forth his life, his wisdom, his grace, his life, so that we might receive life. So Psalm 36, just meditating on these verses, talks about these as this. They feast, talking about God's people, they feast on the abundance of your house, that is your presence, and you give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light, in your light do we see light. 
So in this place where we drink from the river of God, this is where we have life. And we're told that we need to actually eat from the tree of life. The indication in Genesis 2 is that we need to continually eat from the tree of life. You don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but continue to eat from the tree of life because this is where you will stay spiritually alive, symbolic of the presence of God. You stay connected with him. But what do we do? We did do and we still do. And tomorrow, I trust you, trust me, trust you, we still will make stupid decisions. And we made this stupid decision when God says, you can have, you can eat of anything. Like it wasn't like God was saying, look, there's all this fun stuff over here. Have a look. You can't do that. There's one thing you can do. All you need to eat is like bread and water. No, God says, you can eat of anything you want in all of creation. There's just one tree not to eat of. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is symbolic of you wanting to become like me, taking on not creaturely status, but creator status, which we are not. Adam and Eve sin we know by taking of this tree because they actually want to be like God and everything starts to fall apart at that point and they find themselves banished east of the Garden of Eden taken out of the garden still in Eden but outside of the presence of God right now and they find themselves spiritually thirsty emotionally empty needing water needing the presence of God David later in Psalm 63, he talks about when he didn't sense the presence of God as being like spiritual thirst. He says in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Why is it sometimes that you find yourself emotionally empty and drained why is it sometimes you find yourself with this spiritual hole that the things of this life don't seem to fill it's because we find ourselves right now east of the garden of eden in a dry and weary land and we need the lord if he is going to fill up our souls we are dry we are parched and we need jesus christ to be the one to fill up our souls so London right now is thirsty, thirsting after life. And it goes to broken cisterns that do not hold water in careers, in money, in status, in relationships, in a marriage, in children, going to these things, that all of which are good in themselves, but they do not provide the water of life. Only the presence of God does that. And so we find ourselves in a city that is parched and continually trying to drink of the things of this life, hoping that it will touch the bottom of our soul, and it doesn't. We're thirsty. But here's the good news about for those you and me, London, who find ourselves outside of the Garden of Eden. God does not kick us out of the Garden of Eden and then leave us to get on. The good news of the Bible and the story of the Bible is that he actually chooses to leave the Garden and come after us. He leaves the safety and the beauty of the Garden of Eden. He comes and chases us down. Psalm 23, David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of your life. People like Lara who've just been baptized, what they didn't know for many years is that Jesus has been chasing her down all these years. Goodness and mercy has been chasing her and Jesus finally found her and says, Eden is this way. Come and drink from the river of life. 
God comes to us and says, will you turn with me and come back to the source? Will you drink from the river of life? And God comes and he wants us to lie down in green pastures and lie down by still waters where we will have our souls filled up. Hallelujah. There's this amazing moment. Who's seen The Chosen, by the way? Anyone seen The Chosen? Yeah. If you haven't seen The Chosen, you need to download the app and watch it. It's free. You can donate to it, but it's amazing. I watched one episode about the woman of the world. I'm going to read this. Just, I blubbed through like just 10 minutes of it. So I can't watch it because I know I need to be emotionally full because I'm just going to weep as I watch the beauty and the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. But there is this moment in John 4 where Jesus comes chasing all of us down to turn us around to drink from the waters of life. And he comes and he meets this woman who is trying to find water. She is trying to find life. And at the moment, she's finding it in multiple husbands and in multiple relationships, thinking that the next relationship will be it. And Jesus comes and meets her and has this one-on-one -on -one with this Samaritan woman. I just want to read this for us from John 4. And Jesus asks her for some water. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And again, like, confession, I used to read this, like, why is Jesus being so cryptic all the time? Like talking in this kind of like funny language, like, oh, mystical language, trying to be difficult with her. It only actually makes sense when there is a story. There is a story of God that John is telling and Jesus is placing himself now as the center of this story, as the tree of life in the center of the Garden of Eden, wooing people back to find life. He's saying, you need to ask me for water. And the woman said, sir, she's a practical woman. You have nothing to draw water with from this well and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who had the well? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman very wisely said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water again. Let me just read these words. I will give, if you come to me, I will give him water and they will never be thirsty again. Jesus places himself at the center of the story of God. He places himself as the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, where we live in Eden. He says, now you need to come to me, for from me springs living water. There is nothing beyond Jesus. Jesus doesn't channel water from within him, like the center of the garden, from within him springs living water. So if we want to have our spiritual thirst quenched, we now go to Jesus because the career, the money, the relationships, the looks, they will not provide it. But Jesus himself provides the quenching for our spiritual thirst. And she says, I want to drink from you. 
So God chases us down and tells us again and again, I am the one you need to come to. And for Jesus to release this water into our life, he needs to go to the driest, deadest places so that he might release this water. He goes, as it were, to Death Valley, the spiritual Death Valley for us on the cross. And he thirsts eternally and infinitely in one moment for our sin and for our wrongdoing so that he might release like the rock in the old testament the water that will gush forth from himself so that anyone who would come to this crucified jesus might receive this spiritual life symbolized in this really weird moment where the john recounts in john 19 to read John's account, there is this moment where Jesus has died already. He has been crucified for our sin and for our spiritual thirst. And this Roman centurion, he sticks a spear in the side of Jesus to make sure he's actually dead because they're going to take the bodies down and bury them. And John tells us in John 19.34 that what comes from the side of Jesus is not just blood, but blood and water, which is just a really weird thing to like put. You think... There are a couple of things going on. Firstly, scientifically now we know that happens at death sometimes and that blood and water separate. So at one level we're saying, okay, Jesus actually did die. He is dead now. But on another level, when you read the story of God, why would John put this indication that there is blood coming forth from him and water coming forth from Jesus? Because he is saying that from Jesus Christ and him crucified comes the river of living water. It is in Christ's body that we receive into our own life, that it is in his crucifixion that we have life. As Christ thirsted eternally on the cross, we receive spiritual life in the rivers of water that come down to us. If we will just drink from Jesus it is in the crucifixion of Jesus that we find our life and then the story of God abounds and goes forth because from this moment Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 37 that from the temple from the presence of God water will flow out which in the Old Testament is just totally weird it's like you're going to church and there is this wellspring that's coming up from the middle of the ground somewhere and it's spilling out into the streets and we're told it gets to kind of foot deep and then ankle deep and then knee deep waist deep until the point where the earth is swimming in water it's this bizarre prophecy but what he is saying not knowing about Christ yet is that as Christ is crucified and what started as a trickle from his side is going to gush forth until one day Habakkuk 2.14 says that the earth is going to be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea that there will not be one place on the place of the earth that God's presence and the rivers of life will not be made known and this water is gushing forth further and further and further into all of the corners of the earth that as christians go and they take the blessing of god they take the life of god with them they are part of that ezekiel prophecy that from the crucifixion of jesus they are taking life and they become the rivers of living water that give and give and give and give the blessing and the life of god found in jesus christ so the end of the story is one where everyone gets to drink. We're told of this wedding feast of the Lamb where we are all going to drink and have our thirst quenched. And we're told in Revelation 22 this, then the angel showed John the river of the water of life 
Genesis to Revelation, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, coming from the presence of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the other side of the river, there was the tree of life. It's still there with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. So we find ourselves right now in the middle of a story of a river that is bursting its banks that is filling the earth right now so that others, many more like Lara and me, and you maybe if you're a Christian here today, will find life in the presence of God. And I want to draw out four implications for this, and then we're going to close. Firstly, this, all of us need to go to Jesus. And I'm not talking for Christians or non-Christians, I'm saying all of us need to go to Jesus. If you're not a Christian here, Personally, I'm so glad you're here. What we're doing here right now, we don't believe, is trying to make you moral, trying to fit some behavioural code. What we believe, what we are doing here, is just presenting forth a place where you can find spiritual life. We believe what is happening here is like a fountainhead where life is just bursting forth and so that other people could be invited and find the life of God. And we all need to go to Jesus. Jesus said just before he was crucified these words. Till on the last day of the feast, on the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So if you find yourself thirsty for life today, go to Jesus and drink. I find myself honestly distracted with so much of life especially with a phone because there are so many like nice shiny new things that are always saying this is the thing that will be like really make you happy and I, I've got the kind of brain that if I like one thing I get kind of obsessed with it so if I'm like into boots at the moment like I just keep looking at boots and my phone is filled up with boots and everyone's trying to advertise me brown boots I don't need brown boots I've got brown boots but I just I think a next pair of brown boots will like that'll be the thing that I really feel like I've made it whatever it is, it's like a computer game for Micah. And then I find myself like, yeah, computer games. I could get into computer games. And suddenly I'm like an expert in four days on all the games you could ever think about. Because I get distracted basically thinking this thing or that thing or that thing, that is actually gonna be the thing that kind of like makes my heart zing and gives but we all know when we've tasted these things that actually everything, almost as soon as you've bought it, feels as empty as when you didn't have it. The only thing that is going to satisfy is Jesus Christ. So in a moment, we're going to break bread and we're going to go to Jesus. And the invitation is to you if you're a Christian and if you are thirsty for life, come to Jesus. And if you're not a Christian here today and you know you've tasted things in this world, the invitation is to Come to Christ. Come and drink from the water where you will never be thirsty again. That's the first thing. We need to go to the very center. The second thing is this. The blessing of God, the river of God, has to go out from us. It has to pour forth from our lives. Because there is this odd bit here. And when Jesus says, come to me and let him who come eat, drink. It says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So again, a confession. I used to read that and think I just did not make sense of it. Because I thought as Christians, we channeled the blessing of God. 
like God blesses us how but here it suggests I am the source of the water did you get that out of him so if you come to Christ and drink out of you will come it's this idea that actually you now represent the source you now become the center of the presence of God for the world that you live in you now become the garden of Eden wherever you go so you are the one to bring life because it's out of your heart now that where the God dwells there is going to be water coming from outside of you it only made sense as I began to put this story of the river of God together actually it's all about the garden and pouring forth and it is our job to allow the flow and the blessing of God go from our lives to other people's lives. We're living in such a polarised culture, fra fractious culture, you, you don't need me to tell you that. It's more po we talk more about inclusivity than ever, and yet we are more divided and more fractured than ever. And I want to suggest part of the reason why we are so fractured it's because we are inculcated from a very young age, probably from watching Disney films, we are basically birthed into this culture that says you build your own identity and then you build it with walls and then you demand that other people celebrate all of your personal choices it's not enough just to have acceptance anymore in our culture we demand that other people celebrate our personal choices but what then happens if every single person takes that on board and it says, okay, other people need to not just accept me, but celebrate the choices that I make in my life. And if someone else disagrees and they say exactly the same thing, no, you need to celebrate my choices, you realise how quickly you end up in a very divided, very difficult society to live in. Because if everyone is demanding of other people that their agenda be jumped to, you just, we just cannot live like that. But what happens when we become Christians? The flow of God doesn't go from you to me because I'm demanding that you accept me in everything that I am. Actually, the flow of God goes from me out to you. That walls are broken down like sand and the blessing and the life of God goes from me to others so that I don't approach relationships and I don't approach teams and I don't approach my family saying they better agree and they better celebrate and they better applaud everything that I now think. But actually, I need to approach all of these situations as though I am going to be the one who is going to bring life and blessing with my words, with my deeds, with my tone, however I can be. I want to present the life of God to them. This is the flow of God. It goes from me to you. What if a society was built on that? The flow of God from me to you and then you to me. How might we all feel living in a moment like this? That's the second thing. The third thing is this. The blessing needs to go to all corners of the earth. Because there's this funny moment where the river actually becomes four rivers, two of which are, uh, we don't know, we, uh, uh, geographists and historians don't know of the first two rivers, the latter two we do know. So the exact geography of this place, we, we're not exactly sure. But what happens is this one river turns into four rivers. Again, that four rivers is not like incidental, it's not like an ordnance survey map, there just happened to be four. He's telling us something deliberate because in the Bible, four often symbolizes the sense of going to the four corners of the face of the earth. Four symbolizes a completeness, particularly when it comes to area and geography and land. That you go to the four corners. If I'm going to the four corners of the earth, you know, you're like, you're going, this river is going out to the four corners of the earth. Our vision as a church is to see the glory of God known, the life of God, 
in London and the nations. And that and the nations bit is deliberate and we're passionate about it. Because we believe that we need here in London to be about seeing the blessing of God go from this place, like the temple in Ezekiel, to every corner of the earth. And right now it's estimated there are around 7,000 people groups, total people groups, who have not yet heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there are people groups and tribes and people with their own languages and they have never yet heard of this good news of Jesus Christ. Speak with people, we do street work sometimes. You talk to people, have you ever heard the story of Jesus? Never heard the story of Jesus. There are still people who need to know that there is a river of life that they can drink from. And we need to send that further and further afield, which is why as a church, every month we give to people and works and missions that are outside of Trinity Church London. South Africa and other places in the UK, we take up special offerings so that we can serve other places. Next year, we're going to be sending the Jamals to Birmingham, which is part of our plan to see our plan, God's plan. We're just following God's plan to see this river spread abroad as far as we possibly can, particularly to those who comes from Muslim backgrounds. Some of you, I'm sad to say, are going to leave London at some point. I have no idea why you would ever want to do that, said it with a stern face, but I know some of you will. This is the best city, by the way, to live in. I don't know if you knew that. But some of you are going to leave. Some of you are here studying. Some of you are going to get different jobs. I hope some of you stay. But when you go, this is, this is, you need to know how we send you. We don't just be like, oh, it's, it's a shame that they went. Let's, oh, well. As you go back to your home, maybe, when you finished your studies, we send you and pray a blessing over you, and we will pray a blessing over you, and we send you as those who are now the river of life to take the life of God, to take the blessing of God to wherever you next live. From this place, you are ambassadors of God. You are the life of God. You are the water of God so that the life of God may be known through your life. We're not just like, oh, that's a shame they're not with us now. We send you as part of this river that is increasing across the face of the earth. So my, my passion and my prayer is that when people come and gather with Trinity and then as they move on in the next 30 years or so, as they move on, they go filled with the life of God to bless others. Does that make sense? So we're not just like, oh, it's sad that you're off now. No, we're praying that you will be blessing where you go. And the, the last thing is this, we need to cultivate the blessing in our own life. That it's actually, we're called to do this. It's interesting because this, this, these rivers come in the context of God creating Adam and then cultivating this garden. So we're guessing he had Adam by his side as his right-hand man at this point. You know, he's telling him, what, like, this is how you do it. This is how you plant a garden. And then God establishes this river that wells up from the tree of life where Adam is still. And then at the end of this recounting of four rivers, then God says to Adam, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Just after he's talked about this river, or we might say now the blessing of life that is to go forth to fill the earth. Adam is actually called to work and to keep the blessing of God that will flow through his life. And so for you and me, it's our calling individually, not just church, church is doing this stuff, great preach about what church is doing. Each one of us has a calling to cultivate the blessing of God, the water of life that will flow from our hearts to other people. 
So what I'm going to do is we close in just a, two min a minute. We're going to ask two people to come up. I think if we there are a few others, but COVID is hit, and so people are at home. They might be on. Bless you if you're on Zoom. Um, just two people to try and spark your imagination about how this might work. But we are called in word and deed to present the life of Jesus to others, the gospel that there is a saviour who died, took on your spiritual thirst so that you might have your thirst quenched, took on your sin so that you might receive life. And we're called to cultivate that river that comes forth from our life. Because you could get very old and people hang around with you and there's not much life. No, it's fine, it was a nice time, but it's like, it's kind of life neutral. There are other people you know, and you spend time with them, and you feel like you've received some life. You know those people? Anyone put your hand up, say like, I know someone who if I spend time with them, I feel energized. There is something like, I receive something. I feel slightly more built up. I feel like I, I you can be that, but we need to cultivate it in our own lives. So what I'm going to do is invite Tish, who's just gone out to rescue. No, you're here. And I'm going to invite Jess to come up just to share. Jess shared this story with me like a, a few years ago now, but it's a super cool story. And what I want to do is not that like you have to follow these guys, but just to hear how some of the creative ways in which we could cultivate the blessing of God that will flow through us. Because it will depend on your life stage, whether you're in work, whether you're not in work, whether you're mainly with family, with kids, with grandkids, whatever you might, you can cultivate the blessing of God so life comes forth from you. Is that all right? So can we give Tish and Jess a big round of applause? And they're going to come up. And um, I've just asked them to share, well, a story each. So, Jess, do you want to just share a story? Um, go for it. Um, my story was in my workplace, um, and I'm in a position of leadership under the owner. Um, and it was a few years ago. Um, the business was going through a bit of a rough patch, and um, we'd just taken on a new, um, a new building. And in this new building, my um, the owner of the business had had we have a tarot shop opposite where we are, and she asked um, those women to come in and essentially pray, I suppose, um, over the building and put crystals in there. Um, it was a day when I was not in, and I I think that was very intentional because she knew I was a Christian. Um, I didn't find out for a number of weeks, and when I did find out, I was very uncomfortable. And I just, I remember saying to her, oh, I said, I don't like that. Um, but it still took a number of weeks before I then did anything. And um, our sales was something that was a bit of a challenge at the time. And I just, I was praying with God about it all, just not feeling any rest in my spirit about what had happened. And, um, and I went to her one day in faith, um, and I just said, you know, if you'll allow me to remove the crystals, um, I said, I'll put them somewhere that you can have them back if you want them, but I said, if you'll allow me to remove them to pray over the building, um, in three months, if the sales haven't turned around, you can have your crystals back, basically. Um, and so she allowed me to do that. Um, and I did, I went in early one morning and anointed each of the rooms. Um, and just as a side note, the team that worked in that level, it was sort of the lower ground floor, um, they all felt very, they felt the spirits that were there, they did, and they were very um, uneasy. They didn't like being there on their own, and just things like that. And um, yeah, 
and so after three months things had turned around, the crystals never returned and, and since then my relationship with her, she often asked me, um, she's asked me to go in and pray for other buildings since then and over her um, family at times as well. So, yeah. That's amazing. Hi, um, so my, mine's a little bit different because I've been a stay-at-home mom for the last um, six and a half years or so. And actually, when I, when I first left my job and was a stay-at-home mom, I actually found it quite difficult not having a job to go to. And when people asked me what I did and what work I did, I automatically said, I don't work, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And, and I knew that it was the right thing, but I struggled with purposelessness, if that makes sense. I often found it difficult in conversations when people were talking about their jobs. I was reminded of the fact I didn't have one. And often people say to me, oh, you're a mom, that's a great, that's a big job, that's a 24-hour job, and I'm like, yeah, 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 it's but, but. <laughs> And this was, and I loved being with my kids. I really felt, you know, it's, it's a great privilege, it's an honor, and, but it was quite functions and needs-based. I knew that there was a purpose for it and, and it was great that I got to do that. But I missed having that sense of um, purpose. And God, God started speaking to me and started showing me that the purpose that I thought I needed to have wasn't what he had for me in that time. And he started to say, well, I've got you in this place right now as a mum, and I've got purpose for you in that. And I started to really seek him um, and say, okay, show me, show me what is it you've got for me. I'm, I'm raising my kids. I love watching them grow and hit their milestones and you know develop in so many ways, and it brings me so much joy. But what, what more, what have you got for me? And he started to just instill um, excitement about talking about Jesus to my kids. So I began to do that in a, in a bigger way than we did as a routine. And I, I, I like started to see things in my kids' lives that was like, wow, that is only God. And he had used me in ways, just as an instrument, to instill truths about him that I didn't, I knew I didn't grasp at their age, and and I was shocked to just see how he was growing, how they were growing in him. My kids now, when there's any sort of illness in the home, or someone's you know mildly sick, or Tom's injured his hamstring playing playing football, the kids are the first ones to say, Sorry. "Let's pray for him. Let's pray for us." And and sometimes I'm like, "Oh, why didn't I think of that?" You know, um, Jonah when he was really struggling with a stomach. Um, food poisoning and and he took the Bible on his own and started reading the story of Naaman and I said to him, Jonah, what are you doing? He's like, mommy, I'm reading the story of Naaman because he was healed and I want to ask God to heal me. Ten minutes later, all his pain was gone. There's, there's only so much we as parents can do, but I know that me asking God for purpose, he was, the water, the river was yeah. flowing into me and out of me. It was all yeah. God. Yeah. But God was showing me, this is where I've got you now, and this is your purpose, and it was amazing. Yeah. So he breaks down our expectations. Whatever it is you think your purpose should be, if God's got you somewhere, he's got you there for a purpose, and you might not know what it is. Amen. Thank you. Round of applause for these guys.
also had Bruna who was lined up and I'll just, just to say she was gonna talk about how, how she uses her Instagram because she has this amazing testimony of using Instagram for herself um, as a career, which is a noble thing, but then beginning to realize this little tool in her hand you can use to, to bless and serve others and just begin to share some of the life of Christ. And we have Fernanda who's used her Instagram, which is partly why Lara found Christ. And so I just wanna share these things because there are things that you have before you, relationships, you might have finances, you have your words, you have your office place. There are ways in which you can become the river of life, amen? And we need to, to cultivate that. So we're gonna close now.